Exodus chapter 20 is where we're at today as we um, begin to circle the airport on the Ten Commandments series, uh, getting ready to land the plane. Uh, But we're in Exodus chapter 20, verse 16 this morning as we've been taking a look at the commandments together, seeing that what God intends is not the, He doesn't intend us to look at the commandments as the means by which we become redeemed persons, but the means by which we live as redeemed people, right? So God doesn't say, if you would honor me, if you would not have any gods before me, if you would not lie, not steal, not cheat, if you would not do all these things that the commandments prohibit, then I will come and rescue you. What God says is, I want to rescue you out of slavery and bondage and captivity, and then here's how you walk in the freedom of what I provided for you and secured on your behalf by my work. And so that's how we're coming to these commandments together. And the same is true as we come to Exodus 20, chapter 20, verse 16, where we read these words, You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Now, last weekend was a great high weekend in the life of our church. We had four baptisms. We had the galvanized steel trough filled with water down here at the front of the auditorium. Uh, We had three of our children and one adult who were baptized, buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. And um, prior to that service, as I came into the auditorium and was meeting with some of the families who were going to be seeing their family members baptized that day, talking through the logistics of the service, I came in, was introducing myself to people, uh, and I came up upon Nate Jones. And Nate was standing up here, he was baptizing two of his daughters. Hannah and Abby were baptized last weekend, but he was holding another one of his daughters in his arms, little Lily. Lily is probably the most sweet, precious, I mean, she is like a little tiny person, right? Um, so small. But he was holding her in, a, in his arms, and I've, I've, I've tried to get Lily to smile for me I don't, for, for a, at least a year, Okay. Um, but Lily has a disposition whenever I come up to her and I, you know, I'll try to make a funny face. I'll try to do something to make her smile. And Lily just is stone cold. I mean, just ice, right? Um, she has got this, the hardest face on her. And she's just looking at me like, you're an idiot. <laughs> I could see that going through her mind. And I was like, well, I, you're not going to smile for me, are you? And she goes, I said, if Miss Karen were here, you would smile for her, wouldn't you? And she goes, because she has a deep affection for my wife, right? See, what it it is about Lily is she was just dead honest in that moment, right? She told the truth, okay? She's not going to smile for you, but I will smile for her. That's just how I roll, okay? Right? She was just completely honest. And listen, there's something about us as we tend to age that we become less and less honest, right? We, we begin to want to cover up and conceal more and more. And God knows that about us. And the commandment that He gives us in Exodus chapter 20, verse 16, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Listen, it was first given in a legal context. In a legal context. All right, because truth, listen, like a semen and garment, it holds together cultures, it holds together relationships. Because cultures and relationships, whether it be corporate or personal, they ultimately begin to unravel and be pulled apart at the seams when there's an absence of truth. And so God gives this commandment about not bearing false witness or false testimony against your neighbor, first in a legal context, in a courtroom setting, that you shouldn't speak anything that is not true, that is not factual, anything that is constructed or conceived, anything that is a lie. 
And listen, the legal system in nearly every culture on our planet requires an oath to be taken before you take the stand. Now, I've been in a courtroom several times. One as a juror, right? Um, the other one as a defendant for rear-ending somebody whenever I was in high school. Uh, but uh, I've been in a courtroom several times. And any time a witness would come to the stand, they had placed their hand upon the Bible, and they had to raise another hand, and they had to swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and what? Nothing but the truth. Right? So you commit an oath before you go up to take the stand, and in many instances, if you violate that oath, if you say something under oath that is not true, that is deemed to be false, it is punishable by law. It's called perjury. In fact, in our nation, it carries with it up to a five-year prison sentence if you perjure yourself under oath. And the reason for this is, listen, because a just society cannot exist without a commitment to truth. Because in a just society, you both want to prosecute the guilty and protect the innocent. Both and. Not either or. But you prosecute the guilty and protect the innocent. And without a commitment to truth, you can do neither. You cannot prosecute the guilty without a commitment to truth. And nor can you protect the innocent without a commitment to truth. And God knows this. And so He frames up the ninth commandment this way. Prohibiting false testimony or false witness in a very, very specified context but listen I want you to know something that it not only applies to what we say whenever we lay our hand on the Bible and we raise our other hand and swear to tell the truth the whole truth and nothing but the truth because ultimately what God aims to do is to form his redeemed people into a truthful people in all aspects of their lives not just when they are under oath and so this morning we want to see several implications that come out of this command for us about being the kind of people who are formed by truth, who build their lives on the foundation of truth. And the first one is this. It really does come out of that very specific context. The first implication of this command is this, is that we are to be people who preserve our neighbor's reputation by protecting our neighbor's name. We preserve their reputation by protecting their name. You see, the aim of this command is that we would not harm our neighbor's reputation or their name by speaking of them in a way that would ruin their reputation. That would lay them low. And there's at least several ways, there's several ways I could think of this week that we, that we do this. I'm going to give you three of them. First of all, first of all, one of the ways that we do this, that we violate this command by failing to protect our neighbor's name. Because the name and reputation throughout history have been synonymous with each other. Right? Because whenever you say someone's name, right, ultimately what comes to mind is what you think of that person. What do the people have said about that person? Their reputation. And what God is aiming at here is that we would preserve their reputation by protecting their name. And there's at least three ways that we violate that. First of all, we, at times, we assassinate our neighbor's character through slander. We assassinate their character through slander. Listen, there's a difference between using the truth to heal people and hunt people. Huh. Right? There is. Like, what, we're, the truth tended to be, listen, the truth in the hands of a surgeon is like, it's like, a, it's like, a, like a scalpel in the hands of a surgeon, right? It's, it's, they use a scalpel to heal, right? But, the, but, but, but a blade in the hand of a hunter, they're using it to kill, right? And listen, you can use truth either to heal people or you can use truth to hurt people and hunt people. 
Right? So what, how this often takes place and expresses itself in our life whenever we publicly assassinate someone's character through slander is whenever we publicly criticize what should have been privately confronted. Whenever we publicly criti- announce what should have been privately addressed with someone. Right? Whenever we're to come to them and address issues or sin, things that we see in their lives, when we refuse to do that, have a, have a one-on-one conversation, but we will announce it publicly in, in any kind of public scenario or setting. We run down their name with things that are perhaps even could be true, and even so doing, we ruin their reputation. What we ultimately end up doing is we end up speaking the truth about other individuals. Whenever we assassinate their character, we speak the truth about someone to everyone other than them. To everyone other than them. And we may not be spreading rumors, or we may not be spreading lies, but you only talk about them and never to them. And in so doing, you assassinate their character. You run down their reputation. You seek to lay them low. So it may come through slander. It may also come, secondly, you might, you might do this by exposing matters that you are not licensed to share. By uncovering things in someone's life that you were never given permission to uncover. Right? By speaking things that you weren't licensed to speak. And oftentimes, this is what it looks like. We say things like this, I'm not supposed to know this, but... Right? Or I probably shouldn't say this to you, however... Right? And then we go on to dispense whatever it is that we should not be saying because we were not licensed to say it. Proverbs 18 says, The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They're parts of the body. Right? Because oftentimes we don't maybe not announce these things publicly, but we do so very quietly behind closed doors as we expose things that we have no business exposing, uncover things that we have no business uncovering from the lives of other people, things that we are privy to that should stop with us. Because listen, we we don't have very strong vaults in our lives. I I remember back in, I don't know if you remember the old sitcom that aired on, I think about 20 seasons, right? It was Seinfeld. Uh, But there was one particular episode of Seinfeld in which the whole gang, right, Jerry and Kramer and Elaine and George, they were all talking about the vault. Right, because they would have a, had a, one of them had a secret that they shared with the others and they said, oh no, listen, don't worry, it's in the vault. It's been locked away in the vault. Right, and then like two days later, one of the others, right, one of the other uh, 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 in, in the crew brings up this secret that had been locked in this person's vault that they heard from the other person. Okay? So it gets passed around through this group of friends because the vault is not secure. And that's how, we, that's how we are in our lives so often, is that we don't have secure vaults. Whenever people share things with us in confidence, oftentimes in order to build ourselves up, look more important than we are, we end up dispensing that information to others. And we expose things that we had no business exposing. And in so doing, we run down the name, we run down the reputation of those who have entrusted that information to us. Third, we create caricatures of others. You know what a caricature is? <laughs> a caricature is a picture, a description, or imitation of a person in which certain striking characteristics are exaggerated in order to create a very funny, kind of comical, or a very grotesque representation of that individual. Okay? You've seen caricatures before, right? 
So let's say somebody is known for having big ears, right? In the caricature, they're like satellite dishes, okay? Say somebody is known for having like a, a long nose, and they have a Pinocchio nose in the caricature, right? So their head is all distorted, right? They have this kind of goofy smile, and so it's just they look like a clown in the caricature because everything about their features have been exaggerated to a point, right, where it's, it's just either funny or it's disturbing, And oftentimes we have the tendency to create a caricature of others whenever we exaggerate, whenever we give one-sided information or unverified information, right? By highlighting their vices and minimizing their virtues. Oftentimes we create caricatures of individuals in our lives whenever we exaggerate and highlight certain aspects of their character or their actions, Right, their conduct, and we refuse to give credit for any other things in their life. Right? So their vices are highlighted, their virtues are minimized. And so doing we create this sketch of other in the minds of other people that runs down their name, ruins their reputation, and we fail to uphold the principle behind this ninth commandment of protecting our neighbor's name and preserving our neighbor's reputation. We do so by only seeing the, the negative in other people and never seeing the positive in them. So we can either assassinate their character through slander, we can expose things that we have no license to share, or we can, we can create a caricature of people by exaggerating the negatives about them. All of these ways are ways in which we violate the heart of the ninth commandment. But listen, on the positive side, listen, if we're not only to avoid these things, but we also should also positively, right, instead of, instead of assassinating someone's character, we should try to affirm the things that are, are good about them and build them up. Okay? Rather than just, rather than just ex- highlighting the things that are negative, we should highlight the things that are positive. Rather than exposing matters, we should conceal them and be trustworthy, true. And this whenever somebody else in our presence begins to try to create a caricature of others or assassinate their character, we should remove ourselves from that conversation or shut it down. That's the heart of the ninth commandment. Now listen, you may say, well, this only applies in courtroom settings. It's much broader than that, church. Much broader than that. Because God's looking to establish a people of truth to reflect His own character. So not only should we preserve our neighbor's reputation by protecting their name, but listen, we should also uphold the name of our God by living truthfully. Uphold the name of our God by living truthfully. It's the second implication that comes out of this because this commandment is the foundation for all of the prohibitions for lying throughout the Bible and the command for truthfulness because God Himself is a God of truth. Okay, He's not just a God who speaks truth, not just a God who reveals truth, but He Himself is truth. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 65, verse 16, on two occasions in that one verse, God is called the God of truth. By definition, God is true. He is true. And He wants to create a people, a redeemed people, who are a people of truth to reflect His own character and essence in the way that they live. In fact, you see in Proverbs 12, 22, it's, we're told that lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully or truthfully are His delight. 
In the New Testament, in Ephesians 4.25, it says, Therefore, having put away all falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. In other words, put away deception, put away deceit, put away lying, put away all, all things that, that veer from the truth. Presenting only selected parts of the truth. You ever found yourself doing that? <laughs> right? Certain portions, certain pieces. I'll give you that, but I want to give you this. I'm going to hold, withhold this. I'll dispense this. Or exaggerating to make ourselves look better. Not exaggerating about somebody else, but exaggerating about ourselves. Right? That kind of one-upsmanship. Whenever somebody tells a story, and you've got to one-up them with your story, but you add some exaggeration to make your story sound better than their story. Right? Giving selected truth, exaggeration, blame shifting. Right? Shifting the blame onto someone else for things that you may be responsible for in and of yourself. Withholding truth whenever it's going to cast you in a better light. Like if I don't say this to them, they won't know it, and it'll make me look better on account of it. Or giving empty excuses. Empty excuses. And all of these things, God is, is, is calling us to put all these things away. Put away all falsehood, He says in Ephesians 4. And to live truthfully and thereby upholding the name and the reputation of God as a God of truth. And so we're going to spend the rest of our time this morning talking about the third, the third implication that comes out of this. And it's this, is, is how do we become a people of truth? How do we uphold the name of God? How do we protect the name of our neighbor? How do we become those kinds of people? Because at first glance, it may not seem as, as easy as we make it out to be. Because there's at least two ways we can try to do this. The first way is this. The first way we try and do this oftentimes is through common virtue. It's what the theologians call common virtue. Right now, common virtue, if we didn't have common virtue, the world would be a pretty... Well, it'd be a worse place than it is, okay, if common virtue didn't exist. But here's what common virtue is. Common virtue is temporary, right? It's temporary virtue, and it's deceptive virtue. And here's why. Because it relies on fear and pride to produce virtue, which ultimately winds up coming back to bite us in the end. Let me give you an example of how this works, okay? An example of how this works. Oftentimes, in the life, those of us who are parents... Oftentimes in the lives of our kids, we try to teach them to be honest and truthful people, and we do so by hot-wiring their hearts, okay? Kind of jerry-rigging their hearts a little bit with fear and with pride, right? And we say things to them like this, you should tell the truth because if you don't, eventually you're going to be found out. And the consequences are going to be greater whenever you're found out than if you would have gone ahead and told us the truth initially. Now that all may be true, but what you're doing is you're building up this premise of fear in their hearts that the reason they're telling the truth is because they're afraid of greater consequences one day than of the lesser consequences today. And it ultimately they're going to tell the truth out of fear. Or we encourage them to be truth-telling and honest people out of pride. Right? We are Collinses. Okay, you fill in your last. We are honest people. That's who we are. So you tell the truth. Okay? And so out of pride, they might tell the truth. And so, and either way, 
Okay, both of those are temporary and deceptive virtues, not true virtues. They're just common virtues. Here's why. Because whenever they are put in a position eventually, and some of us who have grown up, we recognize this full well because it's borne fruit in our own lives. But whenever they're put in a position where they fear the consequences of the truth more than being caught in the consequences of the lie, they will lie. Because they've, they've, been, they've been conditioned to lie out of fear. And so whenever the consequences of being caught in the truth are greater for them than the consequences of the lie in the moment, they will lie. Right? Whenever they grow up and they get a job and they, 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 they fail, right? they fail to follow through on what their supervisor asked them to do, right? they didn't write the report, they didn't, they didn't follow through on the, the action point that was delegated to them, okay, and, and their boss comes to them and asks them, hey, did you take care of that? And they say, what? Or how? And they didn't do it. How are they going to respond in that moment? If they're afraid of losing their job, they're going to lie. Or if they don't want to be seen as a person who's irresponsible and doesn't follow through, out of pride, they're going to lie. Right? That's what common virtue does. When, when they're put in a position where it's advantageous for them to protect their reputation at the expense of truth, or they fear the consequences of the truth more than being caught in a lie, they will lie. And so what happens is the very kindling that we use to try to ignite a flame in their hearts to be truthful people, ultimately will end up burning their lives down. It will be the fuel that destroys them. Some of you know because you've been there. Yourself. And the reason that you've told the truth, reason that you've lied, is because you feared consequences of telling the truth. Or because you had an image to maintain and to uphold as a respectable person. And so you lie. Just hot wiring the heart. But listen, I want to tell you something. There is a key to your heart. There's a key to your heart that doesn't require you to strip all the wiring out of the dash and spark a couple of wires together. It doesn't require any kind of jerry-rigging. There's a key to your heart, and it's called the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Because see, only in the gospel, only in the gospel, can we become people who are truth-tellers, regardless of how afraid we are of the consequences and regardless of how afraid we are of losing face in front of other people. So let me tell you why. Because only in the gospel are we able to receive an identity from God rather than trying to achieve an identity for ourselves. And so often, whenever we lie, we lie as an attempt to achieve an identity. We're living for an identity. We want to be seen as someone, as a person of reputation, as a person of standing. We're afraid of how people are going to look at us and we're afraid of losing face. We're trying to achieve this identity. But see, only in the Gospel does God say, listen, I know everything about you. I know all the secret places, all the things that you have done that no one else knows. All the things that you've tried to cover and conceal. I know everything there is to know about you, and yet I love you. I love you. 
See, only in the gospel can we receive that kind of security, that kind of confidence, and that kind of identity. Let me ask you a question. Are you living for an identity, or are you living from an identity? If you're living for one, then out of fear and pride, you will lie. If you're living from one, then out of confidence and security, you can tell the truth. See, the gospel is the key to your heart. You don't need to hotwire it any longer. And listen, whenever you become confident of God's love for you and you receive an identity from Him, that God knows everything there is to know about you, and yet He's loved you enough anyway to send His Son to live and die in your place, to rise from the grave, and to one day return for you and to claim you as His own, that you might enjoy Him for all the ages to come in His presence, basking in His glory. And when you become confident of that, it begins to melt away the fear. I'm not afraid of the consequences. The greatest consequences that I have were dealt with at the cross. So I can become an honest person and I don't have to try to maintain face any longer. I become a humble person, not a prideful person. So I don't care what you know about me because God knows everything about me. And so I can, I can tell you the truth without fear of consequences, without fear of losing face. And when the gospel begins to take root in a person's life, listen, and they begin to be persuaded that God loves and knows them perfectly and loves them passionately, if both of those things are true about them in the gospel, then a gospel-formed person, listen, comes to believe, this is one of the ways you know that you're being formed by the gospel, is that you come to believe that you are, as Paul says, the chief of sinners. The worst of them all. <laughs> and so you have no reason to exaggerate any longer about the virtues or vices of another person. You don't have any reason to run them down any longer. Because you're no longer comparing yourself to them and making yourself feel like you're superior in your own moral position or status because you recognize I am the chief of all. And yet God loves, knows me perfectly. He loves me passionately. And so I'm free from that game of comparison. I don't have to assassinate their character any longer. I don't have to caricature them any longer. But it's only through the gospel. Have you received an identity from God rather than trying to achieve one for yourself? See, if you're living to achieve... It's always going to be comparison. It's always going to be pride. It's always going to be fear. But if you're living out of that identity you've already received, you can live with humility. You can look in the the lives of other people and believe the best about them instead of the worst about them. You can look into the lives of other people and affirm their virtues as opposed to exaggerating their vices. You can be honest about your own vices with other people and welcome them into that and allow them layers of access to your life that no one else has ever seen. But only if you've received an identity and not trying to achieve one. So, the gospel enables us to protect our neighbor's name. And the gospel enables us to uphold the name of God. And listen, you may be here this morning and I don't know where you are with God. I don't know if you have 
all of your life, perhaps, even if you walked an aisle, prayed a prayer, went to camp, all those things, okay? But listen, I don't know where you are with God, but if you've been trying to achieve an identity for yourself by propping up your own reputation and by running down everyone else's, blowing them up all over Facebook, okay? Instagram, on the web, in person, behind there. If you've been trying to achieve an identity for yourself, I want you to know this morning you can be free from that. And if you would turn from sin and you would trust in Christ and what He's accomplished for you, you don't have to live that way any longer, but you can now live in the freedom of being a person who is a truth teller. And not being afraid of being found out. You know why? Because you've already been found out in the gospel. So this morning, if that's you, I'll be at the back of the service at the kiosk on your way out. I'd love to connect with you. If you're a believer in the room this morning, let me encourage you. We as a community of faith, as, as God seeks to set His people apart, they would live qualitatively distinctive lives from those who are in the nations around them, the culture around them. I wanted to call us this morning to be people of truth. To be people who, who come to each other's defense rather than are hunting each other down. People who are helping to heal rather than hurt and hunt others. People who are protecting the name of our brothers and sisters by concealing those things that we've not been licensed to share. By loving them well and not caricaturing them. And not assassinating their character. But rather building them up, encouraging them, highlighting their virtues. And we'd be known as a people who look not only to our own interests, but to the interests of others. Right? And instead of, listen, I want you to know, honoring other people with our words is not a zero-sum game. Here's what that means. Right? And if you honor someone else with your words, it doesn't mean that you lose honor. <laughs> right? You don't have to take away from yours in order to give it to them. Because God has bestowed upon you all the honor and lavished upon you all the honor that you need in His Son and by His Holy Spirit with the power of the Gospel and you can honor one another. How attractive would that kind of counterculture be in the heart of this community where God has planted us? Where everyone is comparing themselves with their neighbor. That we would no longer be those kind of people we invite people into a different way of living i want to pray for us as we close that that would mark us as a church let's pray father we thank you for your word this morning we thank you for the way it impacts our lives we thank you for the way that it speaks truth to us that you are indeed a god who is true that you are the definition of truth and I pray that we as your people will be reflectors of that truth. I pray that whenever people set foot inside these four walls and inside the walls of our lives and our shared life together, that they would not come and find 
the same kind of assassination of character and caricaturing and, and, and exposing things that should not be uncovered that they find in the world around us, that they would find a place in which we honor one another, in which we hold other people as esteem them to be more even honorable than we are, a place filled with humility in which people are willing to confess and acknowledge their failures and no longer compare themselves to those around them to make themselves feel better about who they are and what they've done but they would find a community that is shaped by the gospel. That key has been inserted into each of our hearts. And that we've received from you all the honor. You've lavished upon us all the love, all the acceptance, that you know us perfectly and love us passionately and so that we would be confident and secure in who we are, not afraid of being found out, and so we could just share about all our flaws and failures and live even in that free from shame. And that you would be honored. Your name would be upheld. So Father, would you make us into that kind of people? We pray it in Jesus' name.